Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Linda's Life Lessons Podcast. As a teaching professor, my students often tell me that their favorite part of class was when I chatted with them in what they called Linda's Life Lessons. I would take five or ten minutes at some point in class, not every day, and chat about things that had come up, maybe in one-on-one meetings with students in my office or a question asked in class. There's pretty much nothing out of bounds. We talk about it. Sometimes students respond right away. Other times, they would reach out to me privately. Some of them are still in touch years later, referring to how something we talked about has stayed with them. I was unaware of how the students referred to the chats until a previous student stopped into my office. He, talking about you, Robert, surprised me by telling me how much he missed me and my chats now that he was finished with my class. I was shocked because he never said a word to me, not until this moment. He was like, well, I learned a ton about finance in your class, but Linda's life lessons were the best. The name stuck. In these podcasts, I share tips for students and parents, helpful guidance through the college years, and a few stories along the way. We chat about situations students have found themselves in and how we navigated it. Along the way, we talk about some do's and don'ts for parents, too. Okay, let's get started. In this episode, we continue our talk about the steps to your study habits, how you study to learn. Today, we talk about the steps you need to do to move from studying to learning. As a bit of a review, in the last episode, I talked about the difference between studying and learning. I talked about what professors often, usually, observe in our student work. The first exam is the student's highest score, and then the scores decline with each successive exam. The students get more and more frustrated, stressed, depressed. It's a horrible way to feel and go through a semester. If we can get them to change their approach, we can banish these feelings. We can build their self-confidence because their work, the time they devote to their classes, actually pays off with real learning, and most often, a bonus of much higher grades. Yay! Ready to hear more? Okay, let's go. As I talked about in the last episode, employers want to hire people with well-developed critical thinking skills. They tell us, those of us who teach college, that we need to help our students develop this way of thinking. We work on it, but I'm here to tell you that students push back hard on this one because critical thinking is much harder than just remembering something. An example of critical thinking is when I give my students a problem in which they need to calculate maybe the costs associated with the decision. I give them a real-life scenario. Should they take a bus or drive their own car to go visit a friend who lives a few hours away? Seems pretty straightforward, right? I provide detailed facts and figures, the stuff that you know that's a part of your life. How much does the monthly rent on the apartment cost? How much is the car payment, the monthly utility bills, maybe the price of the bus ticket, the cost of the gasoline for the car, the cost of the car insurance and other vehicle maintenance, and so forth. We talk about relevant costs and how only the relevant costs apply to this decision. To solve the question of driving or taking the bus when they go to visit a friend, students must think critically, meaning they have to figure out which costs are relevant to this decision and which aren't. For example, their monthly rent on their apartment? Not relevant. It's going to continue no matter which decision they make, so it needs to be disregarded. 
It isn't at all unusual for students to twist themselves into pretzels, trying to include every single number I provide in the problem when they're calculating an answer. They hate these problems where they have to think about each element, each fact that's provided, and then ignore everything that doesn't pertain to this decision. But these actually are realistic decisions and situations in business and in life. So students need to move past basic remembering and understanding and into being able to really work with the concepts. How do we get there? Believe it or not, it starts with a schedule. We get to learning by setting up a schedule, a way of working that is built around the way our brain works. If you were training for an athletic event, would you only train once or twice a week? If you were getting ready for a music performance, would you only practice once or twice a week? No way! You would be working toward this goal every day, building up your muscle endurance and developing your skills. Your brain is just another muscle that needs to be worked every day, a little bit every day. If you have five classes, you need to work on each one outside of the time you're in class a little bit every day. By doing this, you build up your muscle, your brain, and you set yourself up to begin to learn. I know, I know, you're thinking, is she crazy? I don't have time to do this. Oh, yes, you do. The thing is, if you work on each class every day, Monday through Friday, you don't have to cram before your exams. You don't have to carve out extra time to work on the big projects and papers because you'll have worked on them a little bit every day. This approach truly works. I've guided hundreds of students through this process. Not one of them has ever come back to me with a claim that it doesn't work or that this doesn't actually save them time when all is said and done. So let's talk through how to craft your study plan, rather, your learning plan. That's what my students call it. They refer to it as Linda's learning plan. I'm going to break down the steps for you. After that, we'll talk about how to work the steps into your daily schedule. Remember, students who follow these guidelines are typically very happy with their performance and their grades at the end of the semester. I've had students who've gone on to graduate school reach out to me to tell me they are still using my learning plan in graduate school because it works. You can do this, too. Step one, read the assigned material. Seriously, reading the chapter is your starting point. I know that you, like the majority of my students, are probably not in the habit of reading the material until after your professor covers it, if you read it at all. I'm going to outline some reasons why reading the material before a lecture is a huge part of you learning actually learning the concepts. Before I talk about why you should read the material and how to read the material, let's talk about why you don't read the material. The most common reason students don't read the material is that they tell me they don't remember what they read, so they feel like it's a waste of time. And they don't understand it if they do try to read the material, so they feel that it's a waste of time. In short, students don't read because they feel it wastes their time and they don't have time to waste. 
The methods I'm going to give you will address both of these problems, not remembering and not understanding. Please note, the reading tips I'm giving you here help you with all of your courses, any subject or discipline. When you read the assigned course materials, take things section by section. Depending upon the length of the section, you might work paragraph by paragraph. When you begin reading a chapter, start by reading the first one or two paragraphs. Now stop and think about what you just read. What did you read? Think to yourself in your own words and answer the question. If I had to tell Linda or my dad or my mom or my grandma, anyone, what I just read, what would I say? Don't worry about repeating or memorizing any definitions or equations that might be in the reading. Just stop and think about what you just read. When you take a moment to think about what you just read and you put it into your own words, your brain starts to grab onto the concepts. There's all kinds of technical terms for this. I keep it simple. This gives you a foundation to build on, and you can more easily remember what you just read. Note, this does not work if you look back at what you read as you're trying to remember. Push yourself to think about what you read without looking at the book. So take this section approach to your course readings. Some students choose to write down what they read in their own words, but for most students, that step is not needed. It's just some students really do feel more comfortable taking notes about their reading. If you do that, put it in your own words. Don't just copy from the book. But usually, just doing this mindful reading is going to give you a solid start to learning the material. Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't understand what I'm reading, so why waste my time on this step? I get it, but hear me out. We know two things about textbooks. They're not exciting to read, and they can be hard to understand. Nobody expects you to understand everything that you're reading. Reading the text is step one of learning the material. When you come to class and we start working with the concepts, you'll feel the light of understanding come on, meaning as we're working on concepts and problems and I'm talking about and explaining the concepts and how to do the problems, your brain's going to start going, oh, so that's what that part of the chapter meant. The light comes on and you start to understand. If you take the section approach to your reading and you don't fully understand the text, sometimes you might just think to yourself, I read a discussion of blank and how blank affects XYZ that we've been studying. So, I read a discussion of supply and how supply affects the prices for the industry that we've been studying. Something like that. In some fashion, put what you just read into your own words. In most cases, you'll understand the material much better after it's covered in class because this step, this putting things into your own words, builds a foundation for your learning. As I mentioned a few moments ago, most often students don't read the material before lectures. Have you ever complained about a professor in any one of these ways? I don't understand anything he says. She goes way too fast. I can't possibly keep up. 
I sit there the entire time, not really understanding what's going on, knowing I'm going to have to try to figure it out on my own. They're just such a bad teacher. I have to teach myself or go find a YouTube video to explain this. If you have felt any of these things or variations on them, the problem most often is not with your professor. Most often, it's a sign that you are not adequately prepared when you come to class. Seriously. When you watch a video on YouTube, what's actually happening? The person on YouTube is so much better than your professor? Really? No. When you were in class, you started to put together a foundation for your learning. The YouTube video you're watching is building on that foundation. So reading the course material is your first step in being prepared for class. Often students will say to me, I understand the material better after a lecture, so that's why I read after. The problem with this approach is that you're always behind. And you're super confused while you're in class, which makes going to class a special kind of torture. If you read the content after a lecture, the entire time you're in class, your poor, overworked brain is frantically working to try to anticipate and understand what is coming next. If you've mindfully read the material, as I described a few moments ago, your brain will have a sense of what's coming because the reading was a preview of the lecture. When we start to work with the concepts in class, things will start to fall into place. College classes are much less frustrating when you take this approach. So, step one is to read. On to step two. Step two is to rework the problems and examples that we worked in class. Professors typically have two approaches to their teaching, depending on the type of class. In some classes, math, science, economics, accounting, finance, we teach a concept and then work problems so you understand the concept. In other, more conceptual classes, we talk about the concept, principle, or theory, and then give examples, often in the form of stories, to illustrate the idea we just talked about. As part of your studying, always, always, always rework the problems backwards, forwards, and sideways, and do the same thing with the story or example that was given to illustrate a concept. Think it through from every angle. If you can't make a connection between the story and the concept, go see the professor and ask them to explain for you so that you do understand. These steps are critical to your learning. But here's probably the most important part and the thing that most students don't do because it's the hardest. When you rework the problems or revisit the example or story, you have to do it without looking at your notes. Seriously, no notes. Yes, you might get something wrong, but that's the point. When you rework the problem without relying on your notes, one of two things will happen. Number one, you work the problem correctly. Yay! You're beginning to learn the material. Happy dance time. Number two, you get part of the problem wrong. Now, take a look at the mistake you made. Do you understand how to do the problem but made a mistake when you solved the problem? If you do, try working the problem again and see how it goes. If you don't understand the problem, how to solve it, try going back to your notes and reviewing. And then give it another go. If in the end you really just can't see how to solve the problem, go see your professor or perhaps a teaching assistant or tutor, depending on your school. 
When you aren't able to solve a problem that was done in class, you've just received an invitation to go see your professor. Get some help. Don't wait until you can't do the homework. Make sure you understand the class problems first before you start homework problems. An important thing to note, this step, reworking the problems, is most effective when the problems are reworked on the same day you had class. So if we worked problems in class on Monday, you'll want to rework the problems at some point on Monday before you go to bed. A note about step two. Often, instead of working through the problems, students look over their notes of what was covered in class. When students do this, they are always under the impression that they understand and can do the problems. But that's likely not true. It's only when you push yourself to actually work the problem again without your notes that you'll discover whether you understand and can solve the problem. Just looking at the work, your brain goes, yep, we're good. Then when you get to a quiz or an exam, you sit there really frustrated thinking, I know this, I know this, I know this. I just can't do it right now because I'm stressed about this exam or this quiz. I have this test anxiety issue. The truth is, your brain is familiar with the material, but you have not yet learned it. This is a very, very common issue with students. They believe they know something because they're familiar with it. If you've ever felt like this during an assessment, an exam, you've received a sign that you need to change your study habits. Regularly reworking the problems or examples without looking at your notes is a big step toward not being frustrated on exams due to lack of time. Reworking the problems and examples gets your brain accustomed to solving the types of problems you'll be working with in your class. Okay, that's all for now. In the next episode, we'll talk about putting all this together and how and when you study, a plan for your days. If you feel like you need to make some changes in what you're doing, click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you to a free checklist of my learning strategies and tips. Also, if you'd like me to work with you in some one-on-one coaching, go to the coaching link in the show notes. My schedule stays pretty booked, so you might have to get on the waiting list. If that's the case, I'll be in touch as soon as I have another opening. I hope you've found value in this chat about the steps to learning. May I ask a favor? If you found this meaningful, please subscribe to the Linda's Life Lessons podcast and tell your friends about this episode. Take a moment to write a review. Connect with me on Facebook or Instagram and be sure to check out the show notes. Thank you. See you next time. When I'm teaching, I end the week of classes with this message that I will now leave with you, my friend. Have a lovely, fantastic, and fun weekend, and please come back to me safely. See you next time.